my name is George Galloway, presenter of Kali Mahorra on Al Maedin Television. Mind you, I don't mince my words. I speak Kali Mahorra, and my audience does too. Kali Mahorra, free words, free for me, free for you. Catch it. Nice to meet you, brother. Welcome to Kalimahora with me, George Galloway, on Almaydeen Television, coming to you from London, discussing the once mighty dollar. In particular, the question of whether we are now entering an area of de-dollarization. In Latin America, discussions are underway about a Latin American currency. Saudi Arabia is at advanced stages in discussing with China whether or not they can trade openly rather than privately in the Chinese currency. All over the BRICS, there is an expectation that the need to get away from the stranglehold of a dollar, which is, after all, grossly overvalued, based on nothing, a pile of paper that can be endlessly printed, uh, irrespective of the economic fundamentals of the country. The ruble that was supposed to be smashed by Western sanctions turned out to be the best performing currency in 2022. So clearly the tectonic plates which are shifting on the geopolitical and even military battlefields are also now being felt in the field of currency. Even more than usual, in this discussion, I'm but the enthusiastic amateur. I am joined by a panel of distinguished experts to whom we should quickly turn. Dr. Francisco Dominguez is a real expert, an author and an expert in political economy and head of the research group on Latin America at Middlesex University London. Dr. Francisco, let's start in Latin America. How serious was Lula uh, upon his election when he floated the idea of a Latin American currency? He said that he made a mistake by not taking Hugo Chavez's proposal on the single currency idea at the time. And he realized now that the Brazilians and the Latin Americans cannot depend on the dollar. So as soon as he was elected on the 1st of January 2023, um, he announced that he was going to go for it. And he traveled to Argentina. And they're going to establish a currency which they're going to call Sur. This is the conversation. The two economies are, you know, Brazil is very big and so is Argentina. Mexico is interested to some degree, and certainly others are saying that they would like to be part of it. And just very briefly to say that the proposal is that this is not a currency like the euro. It's going to be different. The conception is that it's a financial instrument 
that when two countries in Latin America exchange using this currency, this digital currency, there will be an inbuilt compensation mechanism for the one that loses out in the transaction. So therefore, because <clears throat> therefore, um, these currencies will protect the economies and if it is expanded throughout the, the continent, which now there are the possibilities, that would definitely be a substantial blow to the dollar in the region. Yeah, that was my next question. How did it go down in Washington? Like a lead balloon. They call or they invite Lula to have a conversation with Joe Biden. And apparently this was not very successful. But worse than that, or better than that, um, Brazil is making connections with China, making connections with Russia to discuss, you know, further trade. And even better than that is the fact that the Iranian um, tanker with a huge amount of resources of every kind was actually docked in Brazilian coasts, even though the United States said publicly no and the Brazilians said publicly yes. So yeah, it's clearly an they threatened of Brazil with uh, sanctions, proving the extraterritoriality of the U.S. has no bounds at all. They can tell South Africa with whom they can have naval drills. They can tell uh, Brazil, a mighty giant uh, country in the world, uh, whose ships can dock in its uh, ports, apparently. Shabir Rizvi, another economist, friend of the show, broadcaster and political analyst. When you think about it, why don't the countries of the SCO, uh, Shanghai, half the countries of the world, half the wealth of the world, why can't they have their own currency between them? Hello, uh, George. Thank you very much. Pleasure to be back as usual. Look, the architecture that was set up soon after the Second World War and the Bretton Woods Agreement uh, made uh, the dollar a currency win in which all the trades would take place. Because as we know, historically in the last three, four hundred years, you've had number of uh, sort of uh, colonial powers, um, you know, Portuguese currency or the Spanish or the Dutch guilde at one time and, and the British pound were sort of reserve currencies. But all those currencies were as sort of in no longer reserve currencies to that much. But then after, as I said, Second World War and the Bretton Woods Agreement made the dollar a prominent currency. And then the whole architecture, the financial architecture, transactions globally. Uh, and then uh, sort of in uh, um, sort of 1973, when the dollar was underwritten by the petrol. And that's where I think the whole sort of power of, of dollar became so domineering over the last 60 odd years is that anyone who wanted to transact anything, whether it was uh, petroleum products or other commodities, they had to do their invoicing or quotations in, in dollars. And then they had to buy dollars to actually pay uh, for it. So the dollar was winning two ways. One as a transactional currency and then, uh, you know, the, the, the countries that wanted to buy those products had to have dollar themselves. So they were losing out in a big way. But what has happened in the last, I don't know, five, ten years perhaps and more so in the last uh, 12 to 24 months is that the sanctions options option that has been used so aggressively by the US and the West has really 
awaken giants like China, Russia and India conference meetings of the G20s. Uh, and there, again, the agenda is how to sort of decouple or at least to move away from the dollar as much as possible, because India has been transacting uh, very happily with Russia in rubles and Indian rupees. Similarly, uh, India has been trading with Iran, with with uh, Tumans and Indian rupees. Uh, so there are sort of a shift that is taking place. But because the whole financial system, the architecture, the background to it is so embedded in the global trade that it's not so easy for countries to come out of it. But I think progressively they're moving away and I'm sure we'll discuss later on is that you know how much volume of trade is taking place now in dollars it used to be over 90% but now it's less than 60% so that's perhaps another indication that uh, you know countries are sort of uh, moving away from the dollar as a source of doing transactions. Clive Menzies another economist and analyst of political economy writes at outersight.org Clive um Bretton Woods was only possible, uh, the hegemony, the U.S. hegemony, the dollar hegemony was only possible because the United States was king, king of the Western world in 1944. The Western world is not that great a kingdom uh, as it was then. And in any case, there are uh, other pretenders uh, for that uh, throne. And of course, if some of the oil producers are beginning to sell their product in the Chinese RMB, uh, the petrodollar uh, concept begins to weaken, doesn't it? I think that's true. Um, and as we had this conversation is a sort of extension of the one we started in May last year, where we were talking in the post-sanction era, where basically um, the sanctions had shot the dollar and euro and pound in, in the foot, effectively, in terms of our economies. But I think to some extent, the debate on de-dollarization is something of a shy sideshow within a much bigger seismic shift. And that is the actual shape of money. And this is a conversation that, that takes us into a very different area. But the, through developments in the blockchain, um, uh, non-fungible tokens and all of these things, there are alternative, alternative ideas as to how we deal and handle value, which is a very big conversation. But it is actually, although, you know, this current financial crisis, obviously it was going to come about because they've overissued the currency. And this is the whole problem with exchange money, that there is always a necessity, necessity for a reset uh, the debt always has to be written off. And one of the biggest problems we face is that debt wasn't written off in 2008 when people should have lost shed loads of money. They didn't. So we've continued to pile on more and more of a problem. So that in itself is beginning to collapse. But what is emerging is a very different idea of how we handle value, which is to do with data. And it already exists. If you look at Google, Amazon, all of these companies are creating value out of data, our data, collectively, worldwide. That is the new currency. The only difference is that at the moment, they're still managing to leverage or monetize that, that new economy through exchange money. 
But that is going to change, and we will all be able to engage in this data economy. How long it will How take? How will I pay for my petrol with data? Um, because you, George, as a private individual, in the same way when you sit round a, a, a table a, for a family meal that you don't issue bills to each other, um, the reason you don't is I'm because a you have... Sometimes we do. <laughs> you, have a, you have a very big data set within your memory about all the people and their resources, their requirements, their capacities. This is what we can do globally. We can turn ourselves into a global family. So it won't be a matter of when you go for petrol, George has to give something for petrol. They will, you, it will be recognised that you, George, create a huge amount of value through your needs and capacities. And therefore, why shouldn't you have petrol? You know, if somebody's dependent in, a, in a, an IT unit, unit in hospital, they are creating huge value. They may not be actually creating, but their need is creating huge value. And this is where we've, we've sort of come off the rails because the adoption of money was to allow us to scale up transactions and relationships outside the family. And that has now become the prism through which we see everything. We see everything through money rather than what we need. This is why we have wars, pollution, COVID nonsense, all of these things. They're a product of looking at the world through money as opposed to what the real values are to you, to me, to Shabir, to Francisco. Well, let's talk to a man who deals only in money. Uh, Professor uh, Wilhelm Beuter from New York, USA, a former member of the Monetary Policy Committee of the Bank of England, a very senior position indeed. Professor, welcome. My pleasure. Thank you. Professor, what is the state of de-dollarization uh, in the world today compared to, say, 10 years ago? Well, the dollar share of global reserves, which is still uh, 60%, um, has been coming down for the last two decades very gradually. Um, and um, there is a material risk of this process speeding up because of geopolitical developments, uh, the bifurcation of the global economy between a US-centered uh, block and a China-centered block is, I think, part of the new normal. And um, we're likely to see uh, you know, continued um, movement of countries globally towards allocating a larger share of the foreign exchange reserves to uh, renminbi and other uh, non-dollar assets. I don't think it's going to be dramatic and, over, and overnight, unless, of course, uh, the U.S. were to start imposing sanctions, involving dollar sanctions on um, uh, countries other than uh, Russia, Iran, and North Korea. Uh, but um, there is, I think, no doubt that the evolution of the global economy is to a bipolar or multipolar world in which the dollar will lose its current dominance. Some observers say that the current conflict, which is effectively between Russia and the West, Russia and China really, and the West, has accelerated the trend towards de-dollarization. Do you agree? 
I think the incentives are clearly there. We haven't seen the data yet. After all, the conflict is just a year old. Um, uh, to see whether countries other than Russia have decided that they do not want to be exposed excessively to a country's currency uh, that might possibly impose sanctions on them if there were to be a disagreement. So, um, yes, in principle, I think this is a valid point. Um, uh, the Russia conflict and the use of the dollar as an economic and financial weapon uh, will speed up the de-dollarization of the global economy. Surely uh, a reserve currency, above all, uh, rests upon trust, upon people's trust in it. Uh, haven't this uh, decades now of sanctions against countries the U.S. doesn't like, wants to punish, wants to encourage to go down a different path, hasn't that forfeited the trust? Is that wise? No, it's clear that there is radical tension between the use of a currency as a global reserve currency and uh, its use as an instrument for imposing economic and financial sanctions, uh, freezing uh, balances, um, uh, denying access to the SWIFT uh, clearing mechanism. Um, so all that, I think, um, does create inconsistent story. We cannot have, I think, continued universal acceptance of the dollar as the dominant global reserve currency, which it still is today, um, uh, but see it used um, almost routinely now as an instrument uh, of um, uh, financial pressure. Isn't this all driving countries like China with its huge financial muscle, India, uh, Russia, Iran, all these countries, isn't it pushing them into creating an alternative financial system other than the dollar? It requires coordination and cooperation uh, among countries that may not trust each other uh, either, right? You mentioned India, uh, China. You know, they may be worried about exposure to the U.S. dollar as a global reserve currency because of the Jews in sanctions. But uh, would they necessarily trust uh, the RMB, the yuan, uh, to any greater extent. And of course, there is an inherent network externality in establishing a properly functioning reserve and settlement currency. Um, you need critical mass. And so that unless you get a large number of countries to sit around the table and hold hands at the same time, um, you may end up um, uh, seeing continued uh, dollar dominance, albeit to a gradually diminishing degree the way we've seen happening over the past two decades already. Seizing uh, Russia's foreign currency reserves uh, 
to crush the Russian economy has clearly failed. It's been a, a fruitless exercise, and yet it comes at the cost of accelerating the trend away from the dollar, doesn't it? Well, I think it has uh, imposed a cost on on Russia. They seem to have managed it uh, pretty well. Uh, it has not materially impeded their ability to fund their war effort, and it hasn't precipitated uh, no, a first-order economic crisis. So I think it has not been um, as effective um, as I think the U.S. and its allies would have hoped. But my, my question was, wasn't the confiscation of these Russian assets a major driver uh, of uh, people distancing themselves from the dollar as a reserve currency? I think it will speed up the process of de-dollarization. It will not be, as I said, an overnight switch <laughs> into the yuan or into some combination of other um, uh, global reserve currencies. But the direction of the change, the direction of movement is unambiguous. It will weaken the dominant role of the dollar because it scares countries who fear they may be next on the list. Dr. Francisco, the wonder is not that the bear dances badly, but that the bear can dance at all. The wonder is that 60% is still in the dollar. Because it isn't just sanctions, is it? As I put to uh, the professor, there's been the outright theft of resources. Venezuela had its gold uh, theft uh, uh, stolen. Uh, Russia has had hundreds of billions of its foreign reserves stolen. Even private individuals uh, who are Russian have so much for capitalism and private property, have had their uh, property stolen, houses, yachts, money, and so on. It's remarkable that anyone at all trusts the dollar now, isn't it? Yeah. <clears throat> Imagine if your bank start, your local bank start robbing you your money. and no, blah, blah, Because they didn't like how you voted. Because of whatever reasons, then, is you know, you wouldn't trust that bank and you would do something else. I think the reason why the amount is still very high is because it's historical. That is to say, it's not easy to just get rid of that currency and then change it for something else because you have to hold your reserves on something else, which actually maintains the value. The nominal value of the amount of dollars that you may have will have to be replaced by something which is equivalent. And countries are going for gold. Countries are going for, you know, there's swap arrangements where they trade in their own currencies. Just to give you one example... Um, Japan and China, this may change now with the war, but up, up to now, the amount of exchange between the two of them is in the region of $300 billion a year. So that is in their own currencies. Therefore, you know, it's $300 billion that the United States doesn't benefit from. And if you look at all the arrangements that there are, it's India and Iran and it's India and Russia and Russia and everybody else and so on. So there is a huge number of them that has emerged into sort of going for these arrangements. This is a temporary phenomenon or a temporary manifestation of the uh, multipolarity. That multipolarity needs, exactly as the professor said, you need sort of some architecture. 
the guarantees that you can settle and you can have a new currency, which is going to be the currency that will hold your value. And that is going to take some time. So he's right in the sense it's not going to be, you know, switch from one day to the next overnight. Nevertheless, the number of countries that are beginning to take measures in all sorts of directions to move away from the dollar is gigantic and they're very significant in the world economy. So in that sense, I think the years of the dollars are counted rather than the days of the dollars are counted. But they're counted, no, not the less. Much more of this coming up. Stay tuned. You're watching Kalamahora with me, George Galloway, on Al-Maidin Television, coming from London, talking about the once mighty dollar. Still pretty strong, Shabir. I reiterate the point I made to Dr. Francisco that, you know, uh, it, it is quite remarkable that with this trend now of 20, 30 years of using the dollar as a bludgeon, as a as a tool of confiscation and so on, that anyone uh, trusts it at all. But the alternative is not necessarily one other big currency, is it? Uh, as was explained, lots and lots of countries are now trading just with each other in their own local currencies. And even currencies that weren't much quoted before, like the Swedish uh, krona, for example, is now actually a decent-sized uh, international transactional uh, currency. The pound, I'm afraid, is uh, its days are uh, done, notwithstanding your fine British Union Jack socks, which the viewers keep commenting on. Um, so perhaps we're looking in the wrong direction in looking for coming over the hill a new single currency that everyone will switch to. But look, that's absolutely true. As I said earlier, and the comments from the professor from New York and our professor here is that uh, because the whole dollar uh, sort of concept has been around for such a long time. And if you remember uh, in, back in 2008, when we had the financial crisis, there was a concept which was floated too big to fade. And that what America has created in the psychology of the global transaction, that America is too big to fail and people have been worried. But, you know, the sanctions which have been applied in the past, it was one or two countries or smaller countries or countries that couldn't sort of stand up. But when you start applying sanctions to Russia and to China as well, to a degree, uh, and then on the other hand, uh, nations are also feeling that we need to protect ourselves. And the only way to protect themselves as dignified countries is for them not to be dependent on the dollar. Yes, it will take time, but I would say, you know, what the Chinese, I think, would call it uh, uh, death of the dollar by a thousand cuts 
if you like. That's what's happening, that, you know, it appears that the dollar is still strong. And I talk to my uh, friends in the financial services sector. They always tell me that, you know, dollar is a safe bet. But I think in the heart of hearts, they perhaps may not be as confident that the dollar will survive for the next 10 years uh, if uh, it doesn't happen earlier. So that's a factor which is so important that transactions will take time. The other issue that you have to remember, the architecture that we were talking about, you've got, you know, the Visa card, the uh, American Express, uh, the MasterCard. These are all sort of American-based credit cards which allow transactions at an individual level at sort of merchants globally. I think there are about 60 million merchants globally that sort of buy into this particular credit card. Now, China has come out with their union pay and Alipay. Union pay, I understand now, is sort of being used by about 180 countries globally. So these are things which are happening in the background, which we perhaps don't exactly evaluate. Uh, and the impact of that is going to be quite significant, I believe. Clive, uh, another thing that's happening, uh, and it's been alluded to already, is that uh, some people are buying big in gold. Uh, China in particular, Russia in particular, have really upped their holdings of uh, gold. That's a wise move on their part. Um, well, we've been saying for quite some time, I mean, I think I did a, talk, a debate in the city in 2015 saying that we were heading for economic collapse, mainly driven by financial collapse. And at the time we said that stores of value like gold, silver and possibly crypto, although that's obviously that's not lot, doing so well. Well, it? it's a lot more volatile. Um, but gold certainly has traditionally been the, the sort of um, traditional store of value. And therefore, I, th I think temporarily that that is a, a good solution. But I think it's important to understand that global trade has, has never been exclusively dollar orientated. There are things like Ormita in Switzerland. They have a currency called the Veer where they do a lot of trade internally. Obviously, that's slightly different. But there are also multilateral trade agreements which don't depend on currencies, effectively barter. So I think, I think the idea of a centralized monolithic system is what we've lived with. And, and it's what we come to accept as being the natural way of things, but it's certainly not. And what I was saying earlier about the technological changes is there is a concept called distributed autonomous organization. And that has basically been hinted at by what Shabir and Francisco have been saying about multiple currencies. Um, and I think the, the idea of moving to multiple currencies is a step along the way. But ultimately, we will get beyond exchange currencies and you'll lose all this, this problem that we have of trying to create stores of value. I mean, you talk about people having money confiscated. You go to a bank in the UK at the moment and ask for £5,000 in cash and they'll give you the third degree. I mean, how did that all come about? Sure. Um, so we are we are subject to a monolithic system which is in a state of collapse. There is a desperation of the measures that they're trying to. I mean, the system is bankrupt, frankly, because it's premised on assets that don't have a value that they're marked in the books at. So we're moving through a, a transition period, and it's going to be messy. 
And yes, the dollar is a casualty, but ultimately no currency will have value because we'll be handling value differently. Let's hear then from Michael Roberts, another economist uh, working and living in London, author of uh, several books on the world's economy and formerly uh, working in the famous or infamous city of London. Welcome to the show. Uh, Very pleased to be with you, George. In one of your recent articles, uh, which I read avidly, uh, you describe uh, the various ways, not a single way, but the various ways uh, things are now going as the dollar's hegemony declines. Different currencies, different methods of exchange and so on. Uh, expand on that, if you would. Yes, well, I'm sure the viewers are aware that the US dollar is the most important currency in the world. Much of the world's trade in major items are conducted in dollar prices. We know the financial sector of the American economy is the biggest financial sector in the world. So the dollar is the key uh, financial uh, money in the world economy and has been really for the last approximately 100 years. But what has changed, presumably just about after about 20 years after the end of the Second World War, was a relative decline in this power of the dollar. The reason for that was that the US economy developed rivals in the economy, particularly in manufacturing to begin with in Europe and Japan, and also in trade. And of course, in the last 30 or 40 years, new rising economic powers, in particular China, have displaced the US as the major manufacturing nation. And so uh, the currency has relatively declined as a result of that. So add here, George, that up until 1970, you could exchange your dollars for bits of gold from the US uh, Treasury Federal Reserve. They would give you gold for your dollars. It was fixed to gold and therefore was a very, very strong currency. But the US could not continue with that because they were developing a trade deficit with the rest of the world and they needed to pay for that in dollars. The best way to do that was to break with the gold standard, devalue the dollar in effect so that uh, the owners of the the people buying um, dollars and those who were making dollars were going to get less dollars for their money, really, by devaluing the dollar. So what we've seen is a relative decline over a long period of time of the dollar as the major strong currency in the world. It's down about, on on average, about 20% in the last uh, 50 years compared to other currencies. It gives you a very good idea, viewers, exactly how much the US dollar has declined and how much the US economy has declined relatively to other economies. It's 20% weaker relatively to the rest of the world than it was in 1970. Will the aftermath of the Ukraine conflict accelerate uh, all of this? If you think about it, you almost couldn't list the number of countries that have been sanctioned and punished by the United States in recent decades. Um, With such a large group of victims, it doesn't take rocket science to conclude that we better all get together and come up with an alternative. It's the big issue. I think the big question that we're thinking about as economists on the international scale. um, Yes, I've I've just showed that we've seen a gradual decline in the role of the dollar. Is this now going to be accelerated by the result of the Ukraine war? I think we've already begun to see 
uh, as it were, the fragmenting of what used to be the dollar hegemony, the dominance of the dollar, uh, even in the uh, uh, past uh, 10 or 20 years in the 21st century. Whereas uh, the dollar was able to exert its almighty power across all trade, investment and so on, that has begun to decline. We saw the rise of the euro uh, starting at the beginning of the 21st century. And we've also seen the rise of the Chinese renminbi as a source of uh, uh, currency growth, uh, particularly in the Asian area. But it's still the case that dollar is dominant, uh, but that position has begun to change. So that has broken down what used to be uh, an international order called the Bretton Woods uh, order, by which everything was controlled, currency was controlled by an international arrangement with the IMF, the World Bank and the US uh, controlling that. That's broken down. And now we're beginning to fragment uh, fragment the currency world into different currencies, not just between the United States, the euro, the Japanese yen or the Chinese renminbi, but also a whole, whole load of smaller currencies, which would you believe have grown in their share of the world market, like the Swedish krona, the Australian dollar and so on. We're seeing a fragmentation and a multipolar world in currencies beginning to develop. And as you say, George, that has been accelerated by the Ukraine war, where actually the sanctions implied by the West on Russians, uh, the Russian ruble and on Russian economy has actually driven the Russians and other countries towards looking to alternative forms of exchange in trade and finance that don't rely upon the dollar and perhaps in other currencies. Well, our leaders fools then? Uh, that did not understand that the cost-benefit analysis of the course of action uh, that they embarked upon would be to their disbenefit, that it would accelerate a movement in the world away from their previous hegemony. Well, I suppose some of the more far-sighted ones did, uh, but I think the attitude of uh, the strategists in uh, US government and in their financial circles is, Let's squeeze uh, Russia as hard as we can now, because we, if we can weaken them and drain them of their resources uh, and take them out of the equation, as it were, uh, then uh, we, the, the problem will be solved, even at some cost. Uh, and the risk, yes, the risk of a multipolar world where the dollar is further weakened uh, could exist. But uh, what are the odds? What are the benefits of weakening Russia to the point where it uh, begins to become a, a partner if you like, or a satellite of American dollar rather than an, in opposition. That's that's the strategy. The strategy is to weaken uh, the Russian economy, and not just the Russian economy, as we know, but also other economies which rival the American economy, in particular the Chinese one. Uh, my view is that the attempt to apply sanctions against uh, Russia and reduce, uh, uh, weaken and destroy the Russian ruble and the Russian economy is just the first stage and preparation and rehearsal for doing the same thing, they would hope, uh, to the Chinese economy in the next decade or so. You've made clear that you believe that the dollar, despite everything, still sits in the in the driver's seat. Uh, the question, therefore, is for how long? <laughs> how long is a piece of string, George? But I, I would say that what we've seen with the recent wars, not just the Ukraine war, but the Iraqi war, the Afghan war and so on, it's accelerating this process of uh, weakening of the dollar. It's a cost 
that so far it seems that American capital is prepared to bear if they can at some point down the road re-establish their economic and political uh, control over the world, which has been weakened. But uh, if that doesn't happen, then the dollar will probably uh, begin to deteriorate even far further. We've seen a 20% decline in the dollar against other currencies. I would say in the next decade, unless something dramatically changes politically, we could see at least another 20%, if not more. And that takes us to the point, as it were, of a cusp of a qualitative change where other currencies now become nearly as important, if not as important, uh, as the US, US dollar. This is a battle between economies and it's going to be expressed in the battle over the share of currencies in trade and finance in the next decade. Oh, terribly encouraging for me, but uh, that's just my personal bias. Dr. Francisco, I don't want to sound utopian, uh, but isn't Clive on to something that uh, in one of the most important books of my youth, The Ragged Trousered Philanthropist, the hero Owen, talks about the great money trick. It is all just a big trick, isn't it, money? It is, but it runs the world economy. And the problem is that the dollar has become a factor of destabilization of the world economy. And many countries in the world, big ones, Brazil, Turkey, Iran, um, certainly Europe and so on, they want stability. And China is very fond of stability. It's very keen on establishing stability. Now, this doesn't mean to say that the yuan or the renminbi is going to replace the dollar. That would not be the the solution. But the United States applying very severe measures against everybody else in order to maintain its supremacy, which is slipping away. Just to give you an example, in 1970, the trade deficit, the commercial deficit or trade deficit of the United States was about 0% of GDP. Um, by last year, it was $984 billion, nearly $1 trillion. And it's an increase of $103 billion from last from the year before. The United States is unable to actually to maintain this position. And a proportion of that trade deficit is with China. It's $382 billion actually are trade deficit with China. So the United States defending itself by trying to maintain the supremacy by destabilizing everybody else, causing wars, and God knows what. And this is an untenable position. So other countries, very soon at some point, because they need desperately that there is a stability in the world economy, they will produce some mechanism and will end up, not necessarily as many currencies, but one currency which is accepted by everybody. Because what you need is juridical security. That is to say, when you engage in a transaction, you have to have the certainty that this is going to be carried out. And, you know, as established by principles, by by norms, this is not guaranteed at the moment because the United States behaving like a rogue state. It's just, you know, really sort of brutalizing just about everybody around them, including their friends, which is not to their benefit. By making Europe paying for the cost of the war, certainly Germany, is is weakening massively the Atlantic um, alliance. And this is not going to be good for the United States when it comes to the question of confronting, you know, what is coming, which is we need to replace the dollar because it's a matter of stability for the world economy. Everybody needs to grow. Everybody's entitled to grow. Societies are entitled to have a better standard of living. And the dollar is the problem. And yet, uh, I don't know if it's a kind of political masochism, 
uh, there was little soldier Schultz, uh, like a little boy holding the hand of his grandfather, uh, Joe Biden, despite the fact that his grandfather blew up his, blew up his train set, to continue the uh, domestic uh, metaphor. Uh, I suppose this is a political rather than an economic question. George, in all kinds of economic discussion, we always come down to politics. Because the reality is that economics and politics are two sides of the same coin. Whether you have, a, you know, a Marxist economic model, uh, you would have to have a politics to apply that economic model, like the Soviet Union was doing and other countries at that time. Or if you have a capitalist model, you have to have neoliberal kind of uh, political model to apply that economic. But I think the interesting thing about the German chancellor and our professor, uh, sort of, you know, uh, America is not being friendly. I think Kissinger was quite famous to say that to be friends with America is dangerous. Uh, uh, to, to, to be... To be uh, an enemy uh, yes, is yes, To be a friend is potentially fatal, fatal. fatal. So that's what I think is the reality, <laughs> is that... Nations are now realizing that friendship with America is quite fatal and embracing the dollar in the same way is quite fatal. And I think when people realize that fatality is on the agenda, then the mind works in a different way. They start operating uh, to move away from that kind of a situation. And I think... uh, as everyone has said at the, uh, uh, in the discussions, that this will not happen overnight. But the thing is, there are so many black swan events that are taking place that one can't even measure. And, you know, the next black swan event might be, you know, in 12 months, in 24 months, uh, which may sort of uh, diminish the dominance of the dollar even more rapidly than it has happened, uh, uh, as commented by everyone else. The great English man of letters, Dr. Johnson, said, the knowledge that one is to be hanged in the morning concentrates the mind wonderfully. (laughs) Absolutely. Uh, uh, Are we all to be hanged by the dollar before it goes? Uh, I mean, that is a possibility, isn't it? The Samson option that the U.S. brings the uh, roof and the walls of the temple down rather than lose its hegemony? Well, this is is a, a battle, a war between people and a system. Effectively, yes, we we can talk about the U.S. We can talk about political personalities, actors, as I like to call them, um, but they are not really what is driving this. It is the structure that's driving this. And yes, there is going to be a collapse, and it is going to be bloody and messy, and there's going to be a lot of pain. But what will emerge from it will be far more sustainable than what we have, because what we're suffering now is an exaggerated form of what's happened in cycles over as long as there's been a a money-based economy. You know, whether you're talking about tulip mania, South Sea bubble, 1930s crash, the 74 crash, the 87 crash, the dot-com crash, all the various things that happened, and, of course, the global financial crisis was... You know, really, that that was our final warning. And we didn't do what needed to be done with the global system. We needed to readdress the whole fundamental basis of... But that is being done anyway. But it's being done under the surface through technology and people exploring different ideas. And the, the key word... Somebody mentioned trust. 
you need trust in the currency. This is what is being replaced or, or what is replacing trust in currencies is creating a matrix of trust between people. And that is the paradigm shift that we're heading into, that it's not about which currency is going to be su- supreme. It's how we're going to handle value and relationships in the future. And it, it's quite a long conversation, but, but it's already happening. I mentioned Google, Apple, um, Amazon. They're worth 15 trillion because they've actually managed to convert that data value into money because we live in an exchange money system. Imagine the possibilities for mankind if that data was freely shared, the value of that data was freely shared, then we wouldn't be having these discussions about wars and what have you. We wouldn't, we wouldn't need all that. This has only been the last 3,000 years. Ah, but 3,000 years. Well, I'm personally skeptical as to whether hundreds of millions of names and addresses and email addresses and phone numbers is worth 15 trillion but then 15 trillion ain't worth what it used to be. I think we can conclude from tonight's discussion that if we can avoid the Samson option, if we don't get caught under the rubble as the United States and its dollar go down, we'll be fine. It's cheered me up. I don't know about you. I've been George Galloway. You have been a wonderful audience. Thanks for watching. 